All right. Welcome to another episode of Thin Coat of Varnish. It's my monthly vlog. So yeah, it's been a while since I've done one of these. I feel like even though it was just last month, I'm waiting here until the end of October to do another one of these. But yeah, I was just too busy with a bunch of other things. So let's uh, get into it. Got a lot of stuff to cover here. Took a lot of notes over the month. So I have a lot of stuff to talk about. So first off, I guess let's get to uh, something kind of interesting to my Patreon subscribers. We'll probably be the most interested in hearing about this. So over the past couple of months, I was doing uh, something on Patreon that was getting me a bunch of new patrons. And I thought it was a great idea. And other people seem to as well because got a pretty nice boost in patronage. Over a few months, I went from like 25 bucks to almost 125 bucks. So that thing that I was doing was a monthly raffle for anybody who uh, pledged $5 or more would uh, be entered into a raffle. And every month I would choose one person or last month I chose three people because I had three things that I wanted to give away. So I got an email from the folks at Patreon that were like, hey, you can't do that because <laughs> uh, apparently running a buy-in raffle is a form of online gambling, <laughs> which I did not know and therefore is illegal in the state of California where I live and uh, therefore against Patreon's terms of service. Whoopsie. <laughs> uh, so I took that off of my Patreon, um, stopped advertising that I was doing it that way. I was kind of in the situation where I was like, uh, do I keep doing it all underground secretive style <laughs> and just kind of promote it on my um, Instagram and Facebook, but never mention it on Patreon itself? Or do I scrap it entirely? So um, I decided instead to not do it that way. And uh, just because, you know, I don't want to deal with the headache of uh, something along uh, sometime in the future. I don't know. Somebody at Patreon hears I'm doing it that way. I don't know how they would find out, but just so that they don't. They don't like shut my page down when I'm making hundreds of dollars a month and just be out of that just because uh, they warned me and I disregarded those warnings. So um, instead, I put my thinking cap on and figured out what else I would do instead. And so uh, I'm still going to be doing monthly giveaways and I'll be doing them raffle style. <laughs> So from now on, though, you won't have to pledge any money to me to be eligible for it. You can not even be a patron at all to be eligible. So instead, all you have to do is follow me on Patreon. I don't know if you know this, but on Patreon, you could follow someone without actually having to pledge them money. All you need is a Patreon account. and Everybody, if you go to their um, profile page on Patreon, you can click a button that says follow and you'll follow them and you will get the 
whatever they choose to share publicly without putting um, a paywall behind it, you can follow them. So that's pretty cool because it's almost like having uh, another type of um, mailing list. <laughs> if you're an artist on Patreon, uh, that's a neat thing to have for yourself. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll be doing the monthly giveaway for anybody who follows me on Patreon and is a patron at any level. The way that will work is all you got to do is send me a message on Patreon with your name, email, and I think uh, I'll require mailing address just in case you win. I have something to send it to. <laughs> so I'll do a monthly giveaway to hopefully it will entice more people to sign up and be a patron. But yeah, I'll give a monthly painting away such as uh this little guy right here actually i'll show you real quick so here's what i'm planning on giving away uh this uh for the month of november it's this little six by eight painting of a river otter that i painted last night uh, maybe some of you were watching on my live stream yesterday so that's what i'm giving away in november and you don't have to be a five dollar subscriber anymore you could uh, subscribe at any level and or just follow me all you have to do is just give me your name email and mailing address and you could be eligible for that but uh, i just want more people to follow me on patreon and hopefully uh, that will give you some incentive to maybe kick me a dollar or more every month so um what i'm gonna do also because of that so if you know how i would structure my patreon right now but every dollar that you pledge goes into store credit for my site which i'm definitely planning on getting back up and running this week or the coming week so any dollar you pledge to me is store credit there. $5 patrons, not much is going to change there. You still get the patron-only feed with all the things that you um, already get from it and the one-time bonus greeting card for signing up. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to open up a $10 tier for anybody who supports me at $10 or more for 12 months in a or not even in a row, but for 12 months, you'll get a free small painting from me. So instead of hoping to win it in a raffle, you will automatically get one just for supporting me for a year total. So that's a $120 value. So the painting will be according to that amount of money so yeah basically something like the little ferret painting i'll probably do something a little more substantial than just the little or not ferret <laughs> it looks like a ferret but it's a river otter <laughs> it'll be something like that or or figure painting or uh whatever i have at the time that the amount of pledges for you reaches that level that you're eligible for that so I think that will be better overall for people because 
even though I don't have a ton of um, patrons, people might be disappointed to follow me for a long time and take a while to win a, a giveaway like that. But instead, you can guarantee to have a new painting from me just for uh, supporting me for a year. So I think that will make a lot of people happy. But let me know what you think about that idea. I'll go into a bit more detail on my Patreon just in case it's a little bit to think about. I'll write it all down on Patreon. But the main thing is I want more people to be aware of what I'm doing on my Patreon page. And so hopefully having more people follow me on there will get more support for me. And I'm doing all right on there. I can't complain about the amount of money I'm making from there for the amount of effort because I do put a, a lot into doing my Patreon, but it would be nice to make some more and have everybody happy with how I do things on there and what they get out of being on there. So that's that. Uh, next thing I want to talk about, uh, all the things I've been doing the, for the past few months, or not few months, for the past month and a half, probably. Um, yeah, so early last month, I participated in a group show at Faultline Art Space in Oakland. And uh, so I don't know if you guys remember the painting that I did of my friend Carol, I displayed at that group show. So that was really cool. That was the first time I'd ever been to Fault Line in Oakland. I don't know how many of you people live in the Bay Area, but um, I know a bunch of people who have studios there. It's a pretty neat space. So Fault Line is a place that's a studio building, a building full of art studios, similar to what I, I have here, but it seems, I think it's bigger, but Anyways, so I have friends there. Some of them have been on the podcast before. My buddy Ozzy, who's a good friend of mine, he has a studio there. So I met up with him and, and hung out with them. And he gave me the tour of, of the place. And there are a bunch of other people who I knew there. So here's a portrait that, that Ozzy did of me. <laughs> Collecting figures like... Uh, collecting my models like figures is how he uh, chose to interpret me. It was a fun night. I met a lot of people who had the studios there and uh, met some other people who don't have studios there, but they have um, down the hall. It's a big building, so they have a bunch of different people showing work there. And there, it's always interesting to me when people are really stoked to meet me if that makes sense because i don't know it's it's easy to just kind of be feeling like you're kind of just doing what you do in a vacuum even if you have a pretty good social media presence like i do it's relatively rare that the people who follow you actually reach out to you 
in a meaningful way. I think there's a couple different reasons for that. Social media is just by nature kind of a an exchange between two humans in a way that's like a broadcast. And so people like myself who are mostly broadcasting to other people, it's rare that you get genuine quality interactions with people on there. You get a lot of good interactions with your fans, but it's pretty surface level. So it usually takes meeting that person who's followed you for a long time in real life to understand the type of connection that you make with someone with what you put out on the internet. So there were a couple of people that I met there that were pretty intense with their admiration for me. So I'm obviously uh, an uncomfortable person just in general in social situations. Even just meeting new people can be something of a task. But when somebody really connects with you as a artist, kind of fans out on you a bit, it always takes you back a bit uh, or takes you aback a bit. There were some really cool people who I met there, though. There was a female... Uh, her name's Margot. <laughs> she had a, a, a studio down the hallway. She was showing me a lot of her work. And uh, so I'll show you an example of, of her work there. This is a screenshot that I grabbed from her website. She just told me how her work uh, is a bit influenced by mine. And, you know, that's a super compliment. Uh, yeah, it was really cool to see her work in person for her to show me her studio like that. And uh, also, one of the artists who I was showing with uh, was this artist named Bryant Sinna. And I'll show you his work here in a bit. That's something I grabbed from his uh, Instagram. And that's, I think, a work in progress. But I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, he had some work up in the show itself as well. And had some work going up on the show. And he was also a fan of mine. <laughs> and I think what he's doing is pretty cool. I think he's fairly new to the art scene. But I like where he's going. He's, he was a, a classmate of my buddy Ozzy. And that's probably uh, part of the reason he knows who I am. But I like where he's going. <laughs> it's pretty new to the scene. But. Um, there's potential there. Uh, I, I like a lot of his work, so check him out. And then, so that following week, I went up to Oregon to hang out with a few buddies of mine up there. I have a lot of friends up there these days. And so my friend, Michael Orwick, who's a landscape painter up there, does a lot of, um, moody sort of atmospheric scenes of Oregon and other places that inspire him, but he lives up in, near Portland. I've known him for years. He's one of the first people I met up there as a painter doing plein air events, and he has uh, pretty good connections up there. He has a collector who lets him borrow their vacation house out there at, on this little beach out near Cannon Beach, Oregon, famous 
from uh, the Goonies and all that. <laughs> and so we went out there and there was a handful of us who went out as well to hang out and there was no competition or anything. It was just a bunch of plein air painter friends having fun. So he invited me up there. That was the first year I went up there. He'd been doing it for four or five years. It was myself, him, uh, my friend Brenda Boylan, who I've also known for years out there. Anton Pavlenko, who's been on the podcast. Let me show you pictures of some of the scenery that, that we painted out there. So the Oregon coast was beautiful. We painted on a lot of great weather out there. That's one scene of Mike painting. Uh, there's myself painting in the morning. Uh, Mike took pictures of me as I was doing that. That's Mike painting. He wanted to to act like he was the one painting that scene <laughs> but it was just amazing that light that we got in the morning just diffused by all the coastal atmosphere and uh that's mike and brenda painting in the morning so you could see all that that atmosphere in the air a bright sunny day but all the light bouncing off the the air molecules just such a beautiful spot to paint from another scene that's what the beach looked like in the morning so of course we had to go paint that so that was awesome um yeah we hung out went to the town of cannon beach went to the state park ecola and did some painting out there also did a podcast while we were out there that was fun uh, yeah, it was with, uh, with Mike and Brenda and I'll put that out in a, in a few weeks. Just wanted to make sure everybody was cool with what we said while we were on that podcast because we got wasted, but it was fun. <laughs> Next thing up for me to talk about is the upcoming open studio. Hey, what's up, Bryce? <laughs> cool. Um, uh, too bad I'm not, uh drawing any figure here for you to be entertained while I, while I talk here, but <laughs> hope you uh, stick around for a sec. But uh, the upcoming open studio coming up this weekend, actually, and uh, I am not at all ready for it as far as uh, getting my studio ready, but I have the rest of the week to get that together. But uh, I have all my stuff that I bought for it, so I'm going to have, you know, all the prerequisites for uh, open studio prints to sell. Uh, yeah. So as I was saying, my uh, studio will be set up for having my paintings that I want to sell on the wall. I still got to go through and figure out everything that I'm going to put on my walls here. I was trying to get more sort of knickknacks and things to sell for my work but i don't know that stuff takes actually a lot more time than just trying to throw it together i suppose i could have tried to throw something together just slap my my art on a keychain or two but um i don't know i've been thinking a lot about that sort of thing we just had um bagger 43 on the show and he's doing a lot of cool stuff with merchandise and he 
thinks a lot about design and the way things are made to be built um, so that your artwork is actually uh, presented right on merchandise rather than just, you know, slapping your picture on whatever little cheap thing. So rather than, you know, just put out some bullshit, um, I want to go a route where I can make art that is specifically made to look good on different types of, of, uh, merchandise. So going to hold off on doing that. And hopefully next year's open studio, I'm better prepared to have that sort of work. People probably want prints of my work anyway. So I got some Giclés, um, just a a few, just to to test the waters. Uh, I don't know. It's probably not going to be a blockbuster show here, the open studio, but you know, I want to get a good gauge on what people want to see from me. And if uh, I can get some good feedback on what people, at least here locally, might want from me, then then that's great. Uh, I think I'm going to try and uh, see if I could set up the mics during my open studio and try and record an impromptu Waiting to Dry episode while I'm here at the open studio and uh, see who decides to uh, show up and hang out here my studio has a nice little area where i got couches set up and everything so it should be nice and comfy we actually recorded the first two episodes here at my studio but that was before i knew what we were doing as far as the sound quality goes so nowadays i know a lot more about how to make a a podcast sound good so it's just a matter of uh having what goes into the mic be worth listening to now at this point so that should be fun. There's a couple of friends who said that they'll come by and uh, we'll see if I could uh, shove mics in front of their faces and, and have them talk to me. <laughs> so that would be fun. Other than that, it'll be nice to see what else everybody else has going on. Here at the studio, I'm not that uh, social on a day-to-day. Online is where I tend to talk to people more so at least even people here but having the the podcast waiting to dry has uh opened me up to a little bit more of the local scene so i'm gonna try and use the open studio as an opportunity to talk to some more people um in the area and see what they have going on and uh maybe they'll want to come on the podcast on future episodes if they find it worthy and we hit it off so that should be fun i'm gonna try and make my studio look as nice as i can for it (laughs) i bought all these different things all these cute little crates that i uh, painted i'm gonna uh, do probably a better job than i normally do with open studios on the presentation so that should be neat (laughs) Um, I'll definitely take pictures of that and try and document that for um, the social medias. So, yeah. Next thing I want to talk about real quick was this awesome opportunity that I got to see Alex Konevsky and William Ray talk down in Carmel, which is 
quite a drive, especially on a Friday afternoon. So normally that drive from Santa Rosa to Carmel takes anywhere from like two and a half to three hours. And this one took five hours. So I could have made it almost to LA in that time without traffic. With that said, it was definitely worth sitting in traffic for that. So the talk was about uh, Richard Diebenkorn's notes that he gave himself. So it's a Richard Diebenkorn's notes to myself on beginning a painting. So Alex and William Ray talked about those uh, quote unquote rules. What's cool about that is, uh, so it's like kind of almost different tiers of, uh, of art, uh, I don't know, royalty. (laughs) So Diebenkorn being kind of at the top, he's such a well-respected figure that's probably going to go to going down in history as one of the more important figures of of the 20th century as far as influence goes and uh who knows maybe alex konevsky will go down in the 21st century as being one of those kind of people so uh william ray is also very well respected as an artist in my circles as well so um, to hear two top-tier artists talk about a legendary artist was quite the the opportunity. So uh, maybe a lot of you aren't that familiar with uh, Diebenkorn's notes. So they're called Richard Diebenkorn's Notes to Myself on Beginning a Painting. These were notes, these are just t- 10 little quote-unquote rules that he wrote to himself and just kept in the studio as reminders of of trying to keep his vision clear as an artist, I would say. So I'll just read them and give my quick little thoughts about them. So the first one is attempt what is not certain. Certainty may or may not come later. It may then be a valuable delusion. So that's an interesting one. Uh, especially that very end part, a valuable delusion. <laughs> so it's definitely like a template is not certain. I mean, that's kind of like what pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone, but more specifically in a way where you don't have an end goal in mind. You're kind of just thinking about where the paint will take you almost. It's hard to, uh, uh, as an artist who has mostly dealt in the world of realism for his entire painting career. Uh, It's hard for me to wrap my head around painting without a certain end goal in mind. Um, I just feel like you can kind of ramble in paint in a way. So it's hard to know where to stop with those things. And so you do have to... I think hold on to a certain bit of certainty. (laughs) Sorry for the redundancy there. So certainty may or may not come later. It's hard to know how to go from purposely going uncertain to finding a certainty later, but it may then be a valuable delusion. See, that's the hard part. That's the one that will need to be thought about a lot longer and probably not in front of a, bunch of people on a live stream here (laughs) but that's an interesting one to think about 
number two, the pretty initial position which falls short of completeness is not to be valued except as a stimulus for further moves. And that one kind of relates back to the first one where the beginning position, meaning where you start from, that maybe that your initial block in or whatever your first beginning marks that you can be seduced by into thinking, oh, wow, that that looks great already. Um, if if you get it and you're complete in that, then great. <laughs> no need to go further. But uh, yeah, especially with plein air, it's, it's easy to just be like, oh, okay, that's a great little study and no need to take it further. If you get to a point and you know it's not complete, then... Yeah, just use it as a springboard for your next moves. So that one's a little bit more practical. Um, think about more. It's a bit sort of matter of fact. But uh, if you're not used to thinking of it like that, then that might be pretty valuable. But that's definitely something I've thought about, uh, especially doing plein air events for such a long time. The pretty initial position that you put your paintings in a lot of times you end up dissatisfied with those paintings after a while because that's kind of where they end up just being sort of pretty starts <laughs> so uh rule three do search but in order to find other than what is searched for um that's a tough one to to get around that's one of the more cryptic ones i would say Searching to find other than what is searched for, it can mean, you know, all sorts of different things. I mean, that's a bit of like, hmm, how would I relate that to to my work? I don't do a lot of searching when I'm at my canvas in front of my easel. That one I kind of have to put off for a bit, like to really understand because i've been doing um searching in the reference stage lately especially with this with these new references that i just shot last weekend so i don't know exactly where i'm going to end up with those but it's been fun to try and figure that out so uh number four use and respond to the initial fresh qualities but consider them absolutely expendable um that really is almost like another way of of uh, writing down number two about the pretty initial position. So yeah, use and respond to the initial fresh qualities. Um, yeah, like look at your block in, but nothing in that block in is carved in stone. And so yeah, just don't get too precious about any one part of your painting. Um, that was an interesting thing um, that Konevsky talked about or uh, explained in his slideshow that he had there because his method of working is he'll repaint the same thing over and over again with uh, or change something in the painting, not necessarily repaint the same thing over. Um, he'll change a painting from day to day. There was an, an example in his in the piece that he was showing us, there was this girl who was, I think, on a bed, and there was like a building behind her. So there was almost this interior and exterior scene at the same time. And he was 
fairly okay with the exterior scene, but he completely changed the the figure a number of times. He probably repainted that figure four or five different times and repainted the um, the building behind her two or three times um, within the course of that painting. So, yeah, he's definitely someone who doesn't let himself get seduced by that pretty initial position. Number five is don't quote-unquote discover a subject of any kind. That's, I don't know, that one's a, a tough one to figure out. Um, discovering a subject, um, I think that's kind of a bit, uh, well, Diebenkorn being an abstract artist, I think that makes a lot of sense to him because um, I think there's a trap from going from realism to abstraction that you're so used to making visual sense of of your canvas that your brain wants to try and discover something within that and so it, it pulls you back into a more realistic and maybe formulaic way of of uh painting so uh i don't Number five for me is not so important because I'm I'm fine with the discovering a subject within abstraction. So um, that one I can kind of take or leave. Uh, number six is one of my favorites. Somehow don't be bored, but if you must use it in action, use its destructive potential. And I love that the end part. Use its destructive potential. Because, yeah, uh, if you get bored of something, you might want to tear it down. Or if you don't have the inclination to want to tear something down, maybe you should try it and see what happens. And uh, using its destructive potential. So it's kind of a energy in reverse. So if you get bored of, of your painting, look at it and just think, what needs to change in it to make me not bored? of it. Uh, I think Alex does that a lot in his paintings. And that's one of the things that he talks about in his workshops, which uh, actually, that was something that I wish I was able to do last weekend. Um, he was doing a, a workshop um, down in Carmel. And I just didn't have time when when the opportunity presented itself to to put the money down for taking it. But I know some people who who took that class. So I'll have to ask them about how there will be, uh, open <laughs> someone listens. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know who you are. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> open. Um, that one's one of my favorite ones. I've thought I've heard that from somebody else. It might've actually been something that Alex said on one of his, uh, Facebook posts or something like that. So I've thought about that one, but that's also part of the reason I'm, am a little bored of the painted roses stuff because I do get bored in certain spots, but I'm so locked into how that is supposed to look that it's really hard to find a way to destroy it and rebuild it. At least, like, I haven't found a point <laughs> to do that for. So, um, yeah, that's one I definitely think about more and more these days. Number seven, mistakes can't be erased, but they move you from your present position. That one's kind of interesting um mistakes can't be erased um 
you kind of have to either take or leave that <laughs> that statement because in some ways he's right like if you put something on the canvas you can't sort of pretend like it was never there even if you kind of take it out there's always um an action that you made on the surface when you when you do something to it so in that way yeah they can't be erased um so they move you from your present position um god i wish i remembered how they explained that on the talk because they didn't make a good point about it that i just can't remember <laughs> number eight number eight i don't really get but mostly because i don't understand this term but uh, number eight is keep thinking about pollyanna and um pollyanna is kind of like uh what is it like a really sort of sweet like nostalgic sort of thing um or like a overly like overly cheerful i think i looked up the the definition for that and something like that and i think that one was probably something that he was thinking about as he was painting it was something probably really personal to him to try and figure out because yeah i don't really get that like why do you need to keep thinking about that uh i don't get it maybe somebody else gets it even the examples that alex and william talked about in that part of the talk didn't quite convince me about it either so uh i don't know you could take or leave that one i definitely left that one <laughs> number nine tolerate chaos that's an interesting one because that's pretty hard to do <laughs> for most people i think uh that takes definitely a lot of uh I don't know, discipline or I don't know how you you put that a certain temperament to tolerate chaos. Um, but the nice thing about paint or working on your art is uh, it won't really hurt you. You could do what you want with your your work. And um, it's only up to you to decide if uh, if you're going to be scared by it or not. I would say a um, um, main theme that goes through a lot of the artists whose work I like is that they're very fearless with their work. They, uh, in the moment, they don't have a lot of preciousness to their work. They can, they have no problem with um, changing things around. They're not married to any one part of their painting or their process. Uh, people like Jeremy Mann, he, uh, tear stuff down and rebuilds it all the time. Konevsky, like I said before, when, when I was talking about the initial position of things, he's a big uh, proponent of uh, tearing your work down and making it chaotic. And uh, a lot of, you know, abstract expressionists there, they kind of live in that chaotic state in their work. So there's something there to that. And uh, there was some point that he made um, I think it was William Ray that, that said, like, uh, as soon as the brush comes off the the canvas, the chaos stops. <laughs> so you can um, keep your brush sort of moving on on the canvas for as long as you can tolerate it and um, see what comes out of it. And I think that's something that 
he's tried to do and Alex have tried to do. And um, that's something I've never really tried, at least for my own work. But it's something kind of worth playing around with. And so um, number 10, be careful only in a perverse way. (laughs) That's a kind of interesting one because uh, perverse meaning, I guess the real definition of of perversion, meaning more of a, what's the real definition of perversion? Not not like sexual perversion, but like kind of a sort of a a reckless way. (laughs) I think he's intentionally being contradictory in that statement there because yeah it's like trying to be careful but in a way that's uh not careful i think what he's trying to get at there is trying not to be again i think a lot of these are he's going after the same intent but he's just wording them in different ways these notes are all about beginning a painting so it makes sense to not to be too careful in the beginning of a painting at least for the method that he's working in yeah that that's kind of like the opposite of of someone who's doing a classically realistic painting would work so that's another one that you can either take or leave but i think you can come up with a lot of really exciting work if you try and do something in that realm so Anyways, uh, the alteration of something from its original course. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, so careful in a perverse way. Hmm. I'll have to think about that one some more. I know I looked up the definition of perversion um, not too long ago, and I there was something else there that they talked about. So uh, anyways, yeah, you can Google Corn's notes to himself. And uh, I think... Alex was talking about possibly putting this sort of lecture that he's been doing with these notes out in the world. So keep a lookout for that. So yeah, Konevsky's awesome. <laughs> William's awesome. And Deben Korn, if you're not familiar with this work, uh, give it a look. Maybe you'll, you'll appreciate it more. <laughs> are we done with talking about Banksy yet? <laughs> uh, I think we are for now. Uh, but even, I guess there's something interesting there about, you know, the the news cycle being so fast, like you're so saturated with the news of the day, you just eat it up so quickly and you get full of it so quickly that you're already sick of something and want to go to the next thing. So that's almost what I feel about Banksy already. Um, and that was only a few weeks ago that that happened. So um, even that's almost a a Banksy-esque statement. Like that would be something that he would want you to think like, yeah, my, my stuff's bullshit, but uh, uh, you shouldn't just like uh, the art world is kind of bullshit. This statement is kind of bullshit and throw away. So I think he'd be happy with uh, people moving on to the next thing. (laughs) So that's my take on on what's left of that. A um, couple of, of artists whose work I'm really into right now. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit really quickly about Timothy Wilson's show. I don't know if you guys follow uh, Timothy Wilson on Instagram, but he's great. I've known of his work for a long time. He lives out in Portland, Maine, and he has this 
I hadn't seen his work in a little while, but then all of a sudden I see um, a show that he's promoting called uh, Fear of Death Disturbs Me. But what I like about his work, it's um, he's doing these really tonal landscapes, but really breaking them down into these almost semi-abstract work. So um, I have some examples of it here and that I'll post better ones on his on my YouTube, but you can also just find his work on online. So, oh, sorry, the glare on the, the light there. Uh, so that's a dark one, but that's already one that's hard to look at on the screen. So, so that's the one. And uh, let's go to the next one. So he does these really minimalist landscapes, but I think they're really beautiful. Um, the way he's, playing with texture, design, these muted tones, really into this right now. Um, I'd love to bring a little bit more minimalism into my landscapes like that, just to see if it fits me, because, man, I just really love what he does with his landscapes. Uh, I think that's actually a figure, and uh, so that's, I think that's, is that all of them? Yeah, he'll he'll go into these. Um, he'll take his work and break it down very abstractly, and it's. Um, I love what he's doing with texture and and uh, and paint application. Look at this one; it's just so minimal, but it's just saying so much with just that little touch of red on the horizon. You can tell what this is. Um, he, uh, I highly recommend checking out his work and not just staring at my my uh, screen here. Um, it's another one. Like he's this is an evening scene that he just sucked all the the color out of just about. Like it's a sunset, but man, that sunset is just this dark ochre and this. Uh, dirty almost uh, oxide red but you can tell it's a it's a field with some distant clouds and almost like a storm cloud and um, I really like that work just because it's um, there's something about implying color that's that can be really appealing even though I just spent a month painting these figure or the, these landscapes that were just blasting color out at you at least as far as uh as my work goes um i tend to be uh, a little bit restrained with with my color a lot of times um because i i love uh muted color and so the paintings that i just did for that figure for the landscape show have i wanted to push myself to see just how far i can take some of my color in in that regard but my natural inclination is probably to, to tone things down a bit. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's my personality. <laughs> um, also, I came across, speaking of color, actually, here's the, the opposite of that. Um, I came across this um, photographer recently uh, named Natasha Wilson, and she's um, on Instagram at Stacia. And um, uh, I found her because some she i got tagged in one of her pictures because of uh she did this series of 
a nude figure on a bed with these flower patterns behind her. And she did these different color notes and was doing comparison on, uh, she wanted to kind of survey her, her followers to see which one they like. And it was so interesting because the pictures she looked, she posted looked almost exactly like the reference that I used for painting my painted roses series. So I was like, huh, let me check her out and see what else she's got going on. And, um, so I looked at some of her work and man, her color, the color that she gets in some of her photos is, oops, is really cool. Um, so that's, uh, I think that's a self portrait actually, but, uh, her work is really colorful, um, really vibrant and, uh, um, pretty sophisticated color work there. I love that one. Uh, I know that one. She definitely, uh, played with that color in Photoshop, changed some things around. Um, so that's another one I really like of hers. <laughs> so, uh, you can actually find a podcast that she did where she talked a little bit about how she comes up with these concepts and how she makes them into what they are on, on, uh, in Photoshop and all that. And, uh, so that was a, a cool listen because there's a lot I don't know about photography yet. And so seeing these people who know what they're doing with a camera, pretty inspiring to me. <laughs> so, um, wrapping up here. Oh, just really quick, uh, to wrap it up. I wanted to, uh, recommend you guys a podcast that I've been listening to called last scene. Uh, let me know if any of you guys have listened to this podcast. It's pretty cool. It's about the Isabella Stewart Gardner museum in Boston and the heist that is still unsolved. Like they stole, um, a bunch of really valuable work and they haven't gotten it back. They're not even sure who actually stole the paintings and the podcast is, uh, in a series and it's been coming out once a week. So I just started listening to it actually a couple weeks ago and they're, I think eight episodes in no seven or eight episodes in, uh, it's pretty cool because even though uh, to this day, the, the mystery is unsolved. So how do you make a compelling podcast uh, of a story that has no ending? <laughs> so uh, what they do instead is uh, they do profiles of a lot of different suspects. And these people are pretty interesting because uh, a lot of them are criminals and with a very criminal past. And so they focus in on the story of who they are and why they think they might have had something to do with the heist. And it's pretty interesting because you go from going like, oh, well, that part person probably had something to do with it. And the next week you're like, oh, that person may have had something to do with it. And you just kind of uh, keep going back and forth like, oh, well, maybe there's uh, you, it's fun to kind of speculate on it at the same time along with the people. And so uh, 
here I have actually pictures that I grabbed from online of, of the paintings that were stolen. Um, uh, I'll just go. I'll just start from there. Well, that's actually a, a Chinese, uh, not a urn. What do they call it? A bronze beaker, which I don't know what you use it for. But anyways, it, it looks awesome. <laughs> uh, they stole a bunch of Degas sketches. And uh, so here's here's the stuff that we painters care about a lot. Not that I don't care about Degas. I actually do like Degas, but uh, his sketches probably aren't his most valuable works. But um, uh, a landscape by a follower of Rembrandt. Um, <laughs> this was an interesting thing to steal. Uh, apparently, they were trying to steal a flag, but they couldn't get it out of its holder. So they just stole the, the top part of it, which is this cool looking eagle thing. A Manet portrait. Oh, here's here's one of the main tragedies. Um, Rembrandt's only known seascape was one of the paintings that was stolen, and uh, another a Rembrandt portrait, beautiful portrait, I would add, and uh, and a Vermeer. Vermeers are already quite rare. He didn't do a ton of of paintings that exist, so. Having one stolen and still missing is pretty tragic for the art world. Yeah, I'll, I don't like to make these go over an hour because it makes it more of a headache for me to, to uh, edit and make into something good. So, uh, all right. Well, uh, yeah, Bryce, no kidding. Uh, a Vermeer and two Rembrandts. And, that, and I mean, where do those paintings go when... Um, when they're stolen like that because what do you end up doing with them but uh it's actually a pretty interesting podcast because uh apparently there was somebody who who like you learn about people who are in the periphery of these people who have potentially stolen the paintings because they're uh one person um his wife uh, and like a lot of the people who are suspects um went to jail for other things and, and are now dead and everything else. So, uh, some people you're like, well, wish they could, um, tell us more about it, but you know, they're dead or they either won't talk about the heist. It's interesting. So, um, yeah, one person said that, uh, one of the, the paintings she recognizes hanging in their apartment for a long time. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know what ends up happening with this stuff. There was a really interesting episode where they talked about this guy who, who, um, I want to say there was these French people who owned one of the, either the Vermeer or the Manet, and they tried to get it back from him, but the FBI totally screwed up because of somebody had a big ego about it and they had to get in front of the the hype about it um but yeah i highly recommend that podcast um if you're into mystery and you're obviously into art if you're watching my ass here <laughs> so uh anyways um uh, i'm gonna wrap it up here 
So yeah, thanks for hanging out here. This was fun to do. <laughs> I'm glad I was able to share with you all my things I got going on. So uh, check me out. Uh, check out my Patreon. Hopefully you, um, it's worth you um, giving a look at it and follow me on there and you can possibly win the little river otter. <laughs> I think it's a pretty sweet painting, actually, if I do say so myself. All right. Um, till next month, catch you next time. <laughs>